Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The year is 1999, and some people think that this podcast is an overachiever, but I think they're just jealous. The movie, Election. And welcome to Unspooled. I am Paul Shear, joined as always by my friend Amy Nicholson to talk about great movies, to see if these great movies that we talk about and that we put up on a pedestal are truly great or we just remember them that way. That's right. And, you know, we have been doing a lot of thinking about a lot of different stuff. Our trajectory in the last few weeks has been all over the map, but I think we have been kind of having conversations with movies that are out and uh, movies that kind of made these directors or at least have been a a jewel in their crown, whether it's Martin Scorsese and The Killers of the Flower Moon, talking about that and Wolf of Wall Street, or going here, which is the new Alexander Payne movie, Holdovers, is coming out. It's about a teacher who may have stayed a little bit too long at the school that they are at. And going back to really the movie that I think truly broke Alexander Payne wide open, which is Election. I have been so excited to talk about this movie with you ever since I rewatched it, Paul. I'm like jumping into the bit. I'm like at school at six in the morning, setting out cupcakes, being like, Paul, let's talk about Election. Oh my God, I cannot wait. It's a movie that I feel like is often spoken about in such high regard But it's also a movie that I haven't revisited in such a long time. So in going back to watch it, I kind of felt like I was watching it with fresh eyes. I I remembered a lot of it. But at the same time, rewatching it, I think I found yet another layer beyond the think pieces that have been out in recent years about, like, is Tracy Flick a villain? I think this movie is way more complicated than villains and heroes. It is. It is. I mean, if we are ever going to get into a movie that was like depiction is not endorsement or do not trust everything a movie tells you is happening. This is just a magnificent example of a film that's like teasing you, pulling you in nine different directions. And I think in a way, convincing a lot of people that Tracy Flick is evil for a very long time. What I think this movie does so interestingly is it takes this core concept of 
When you're unhappy with something in your own life, oftentimes you look to someone else. Oh, it's my boss. It's my job. It's my wife. It's my partner. It's my car, whatever it is. You find a place to put blame. And oftentimes you don't put that blame on yourself. And so if you don't have to take uh, ownership over why you're stuck and yet put it on somebody else, you can kind of elevate yourself or make yourself the hero of the story. And I think this movie does a great job of showing us different perspectives, different stories, but at the same time, showing you that all these people are flawed because no one's really taking responsibility for their own actions. And look, even by saying that, I go... And I know it's even more complicated than that. And that's what I love about this episode. We're going to get into very nuanced discussions about right, wrong, morality, and and ethics. I mean, the movie puts it out right in the beginning. Like, we're going to kind of tackle that. Paul, I vote if anybody can do it, it's you. All right, Amy, let's step up to the mic and make our case because it's time to unspool it. The year is 1999, and Alexander Payne has made a movie inspired by the past that looks an awful lot like the future, too. Election is based on a book by Tom Parada, one of this generation's great American novelists. Tom was inspired by the 1992 presidential election, a three-way race between establishment dork George Herbert Walker Bush, popular guy Bill Clinton, and anti-establishment wackadoo Ross Perot. If you don't remember that election, it sounded a little something like this. A little frightening. My approval ratings are down a little bit. They're going down there. They were up here. Now they're here. Not as bad as Carter down here. Election put that dynamic into a Nebraska high school class presidential campaign. The challenges are establishment dork Tracy Flick, popular guy Paul Metzler, and anti-establishment wackadoo Tammy Metzler, Paul's sister, a sophomore who hates the entire school and just wants to watch the world burn. They are played in order by Reese Witherspoon, Chris Klein, and Jessica Campbell. But this movie has an important fourth character, a civics teacher called Mr. McAllister, that's Matthew Broderick, who is responsible for running the election and eventually tampering with it. And Mr. McAllister hates Tracy Flick and spends most of the movie trying to convince us to hate her too. Tracy Flick. Tracy Flick. I'd seen a lot of ambitious students come and go over the years, but Tracy Flick, she was a special case. Now, why does he hate her? He never really gives a good reason, except he's convinced that she is willing to step on people and cheat and lie to gain power. Now, is that true? Well, one movie critic at the time called Tracy Flick a baby Hitler, and she's still on a ton of lists of great all-time movie villains. But today, more people are also willing to defend Tracy Flick because we're starting not to believe in the Mr. McAllister's of the world. And we're no longer willing to trust that the way that they see the world is the neutral truth. Election was released on April 23rd, 1999, and it did not make its money back. But it did land the film a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination at the Oscars, and it has gone on to become a cult classic, a film that I feel like reveals new layers every single time we watch it. So what was in the zeitgeist that April 1999? It was a song about the battle between the sexes. It was a song about women who do not have time for small, grasping, pathetic men like Mr. McAllister. It is TLC, 
and no scrubs. <laughs> yes. Scrub is a guy that thinks he's flying. This also known as a buster. Always talking about what he wants and just sits on his broke ass. So no, I don't want your number. No, I don't want to give you mine. And no, I don't want to meet you nowhere. No, don't want any old time. And no, I don't want no scrub. A scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. Finally. I love it. I love this movie, Amy. I haven't seen this movie in such a long time. And rewatching it was like an absolute joy. I I like watching a lot of movies on this show. But this one, it just made me go, oh, my gosh, I love Alexander Payne. This is like one of my favorite Matthew Broderick performances. And of course, Reese Witherspoon's at the center of it. But She gets a lot of credit and she's great in this movie, but it really is so many factors that makes this movie so good. Best Chris Klein performance, hands down. Every supporting character just pops and the writing, the directing, everything is, I mean, I love it. Top notch. This is not a movie that I thought I would be this into in the rewatch. And I'm just, I'm kind of floored by it. Ah, that's how I felt too. That's how I felt too. I think this is my third time watching election since it came out it's just a completely different movie to me every single time every single time because when i saw this movie the first time i was nervous about tracy flick i was very uncomfortable about tracy flick tracy flick is you know around my age a a do-gooder blonde you know nervous people don't like her she was so close to what i was afraid that i was that i got terrified You know, I was like, I need as much distance between me and Tracy Flick as humanly possible. It has taken me a while to, like, look at Tracy Flick anew. And I feel like to see her with more sympathy, to see her with less of a knee-jerk immediate, like, oh, my God, get her away. You know, the the feeling that Hollywood had about Reese Witherspoon when she made this movie. You know, remember we were talking about this in the Legally Blonde episode, that after she played Tracy Flick— she couldn't get cast in anything because like Hollywood studio bosses were like, not her. We hate that woman. We hate what she stands for. No way. Reese Witherspoon is Tracy Flick. Reese Witherspoon is not getting anywhere near us. And it wasn't until she really fought her way to get Legally Blonde that they started to think of her as more of a dimensional person again. But that said, this whole movie is about like, can you empathize with people who are lying to you about everything all the time and especially lying to themselves and I mean, this movie is, in essence, a movie where everybody is fighting to convince you that their worldview is right. And we as the audience just have to figure it out. Yeah, I, I really found it interesting that this movie has three narrators. You know, we're we're listening, or actually four, right? At certain points, voiceover is taking over to give you a different perspective. And you can pick which character you want to side with, or you can at least put yourself in each character's shoes. Exactly. Like each character is like, here's what I think is going on. Here's what that person is like. And here's why you should trust me. And I'm such a good person. I'm teacher of the year. I'm valedictorian. I was in, you know, Bye Bye Birdie or whatever. And it's Alexander Payne kind of quietly pairing their narration with visuals to be like, I don't know if you should agree with everything that they're saying. Or showing us one way that a scene happened, you know, Tracy Flick coming up to to the teacher and being like, Hey, I really hope if I win, you know, the presidency, we can work together. Mr. M, when I win the presidency, that means you and I are going to be spending a lot of time together. And I, for one, would really like that time to be harmonious and productive. Wouldn't you? Sure. Okay. 
think that's what I thought. I was just checking. Yeah. Good luck there, Tracy. Okay. And then just a minute later, showing us how Matthew Broderick has chosen to like rewrite that scene in his head, change the way she talked, change her intentions of it to like freak himself out. Like, is she hitting on me? Is this woman a seductress who is the voice of doom? When I win the presidency, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. Lots and lots and lots of time. President and advisor. Harmonious and productive. Close and special. You and I. Yeah, I think this movie underscores something that we've been dealing with in society, which is we all see ourselves as the hero. But oftentimes people don't see us as that same hero. This movie allows us to lean into the idea that our perception of ourselves might be a bit flawed. And I would say the only person whose perception is the same as reality is Chris Klein because he's just simple. And I don't mean that like dumb. I mean that like he thinks and acts the same way where everybody else in this movie is slightly more duplicitous. So I think if you look at this movie from afar, you just recognize, oh, Chris Klein is for lack of another term, the hero. Like he's the good guy out of this world simply because he doesn't try to do anything conniving. Like what he says, he does. And there, there's something really interesting that he is also viewed as an idiot for being kind of pure of heart. Yes, yes, yes. Like I wrestle with this a little bit about the Chris Klein character because he's almost too nice to me sometimes. You know, like there's that right. little scene right before the election and you have like each of the candidates praying to God and Tracy's like praying, you know, of course, like, you know that I deserve to win. And Tammy is praying like, God, just get me anything I want. Get me everything I want. I want the world. And Chris is praying for Tammy. He's like, I hope Tammy's okay. I hope my sister's yeah. okay. And I was like, man, is this guy too nice? And then I thought about it a little bit more. And I was like, you know, the thing is, though, the Chris Klein character is the one who, A, is definitely always going to be okay. He's from a rich family. He doesn't have to worry. He gets anything he wants no matter what. He Even if he loses, it doesn't matter. And then I realized, oh, the dirty trick of that character is, yeah, he's just oblivious to all of the drama that is going on because in a way, he just doesn't notice. Like he's almost like obliviously cruel. Even in the way that it, like his sister's mad at him. His sister's mad at him because he's dating his sister's ex-girlfriend, uh, Lisa, but he doesn't even know that he's doing it because he kind of doesn't care enough to ask the right questions. And so it's, it's a different version of not really being in reality. Well, it's not her ex-girlfriend. They were maybe something. His sister wanted something more from this girl. And that girl is experimenting. It's not out in the open is what I'm saying. All right. So I don't think that he thinks he's taking her ex-girlfriend. He's like, oh, my gosh, this just happened. Like. He doesn't see anyone as having any ulterior motives because he doesn't have any ulterior motives. So Right, which is good, but also kind of scary, right? Right, 100%. I agree. Like, like to not think through things, but at the same time, he's the only character that goes to people and says, hey, you know, I am upset that you're running against me. He says that to his sister. And, and I love you, even though you're adopted, you know, you are my sister. Now, yes, I'm not saying he's a perfect character, but he's the only person who is honest, confronts, and speaks to everyone in a way that undercuts what this movie 
is kind of highlighting, which is like we all lie to each other. We are all backstabbing each other. And this character who is what he actually says he is, not what Tracy Flick is, because Tracy Flick says, I am this, but she is that, but also duplicitous too. Same thing with McAllister. He is what he is, a great teacher, all this other stuff, but he also is duplicitous. And Chris Klein's sister in the movie, she's working this long con to get to, <laughs> uh, you know, a uh, an all-girls Catholic school. Yeah, she's the joker of the movie. She's just like, burn it all down. I'm done with everything. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess what I'm sympathizing with is wouldn't it be better sometimes if we are all a little bit more like Chris Klein? Like I had an issue with a friend recently and I just confronted it. I think that there's moments in life where like, well, like I can't just be this direct with somebody. I can't just get to the source of it. And I found myself really leaning into this example that he's setting, I'm like, oh, you know, he's at least acting on or being honest with everybody. He may not be the smartest, he may not be the best, but he at least is the one who can go to sleep at night, right? And he is thankful. And and you say he's not thinking through things, but I do think, you know, when he goes to vote, he is thinking about things. Is it selfish for me to vote for myself? You know what? As a matter of fact, I won't. He's not the smartest thinker, but he is making decisions And he's getting excited. Like when he gets to be president, he's not like the jock president. He's like, oh, I want to do this. And I think it would be fun to do this. Like he's actually engaged by it. I mean, I agree that the bad version of this movie makes that character into like more of a stereotypical jock, right? Yes. Like when I win president, we're going to not have school on like pep rally days and everybody's going to come and do keg stands or like whatever. And he's like, I would like to have a fundraiser for muscular dystrophy or cystic fibrosis. And it's like, beautiful. He actually does lead with his heart. Like, I feel like this movie could be afraid that it is the Chris Kleins of the world who wind up running everything. Because this, mm-hmm. is, if this is like a parallel to like Bush, Clinton, Perot, Clinton wins, you know? And, and if the world was run by Chris Kleins of the world, maybe it wouldn't be the smartest world and maybe it wouldn't solve a lot of the problems. But the good thing about Chris Klein is I think he does at least lead with his heart a little bit. You know, like when Matthew Broderick is even pitching him on like why he should run for office, his first thought is like, you know, that kind of belongs to Tracy. This is really her thing. Like he, he seems to care in that like old school, like I care about you kind of way. Student, council, president. Oh, me? Oh, no, I... I don't know anything about that stuff, Mr. M. And I mean, besides, that's Tracy Flick's thing. She's always working so hard at yeah, it. Yeah, I know. She's a real go-getter, all right. And she's super nice. 
Yeah, yeah. But one person assured of victory kind of uh, undermines the whole idea of democracy, don't you think? Well, Mr. M. I mean, that'd be more like a, a dictatorship like we studied. Can we say, though, how creepy is it that Mr. McAllister gets the idea to make him run for office while watching a high school porno video about a football jock? Crystal, what are you doing here in the boys' locker room? I come to see the star quarterback before the big game. But what if Coach Henderson walks in? Well, that's okay. I took care of him. So, uh, what you reading? I'm just reviewing my playbook. I have a play we can practice. You be quarterback. I'll be tight in. I mean, creepy. Yeah, I mean, look, this movie paints a picture of Mr. McAllister that is... Dark, And I think that that kind of two sides of the coin that we're seeing, the way that he's talking about himself and then what we're actually seeing him do sets a picture of someone who is feeling unmoored by his life. Like, yes, he's doing his life, but he's not happy in his life. I I think that the ending of this movie, I feel great about where he is. I know that he's got this tension, but in a weird way, he finally was able to connect to a part of himself. He looks better. He's he he seems happier. Like we're watching this guy who's just stuck, right? Like yes, he can do all this sort of stuff and it's sad the way that he is. Doesn't mean that I have tremendous sympathy for him, but I also think that that scene of him just jerking off and trying to make the moves on his neighbor's wife, it, it there's so much there. He's just looking for something. And I think that Where Tracy Flick really is interesting in this movie in regards to him is it gives him something to fight against. Like it gives him something. And even though it's unfounded probably, or it's, he should be more mature or whatever, it gives him some drive. I think that the reason why he cheats, the reason why, you know, this whole thing goes to hell is because his life is kind of energized by this force, this force that he just, this anger actually energizes everything about his life. Well, yeah. I mean, like the way we're introduced to him is this montage of him, like early in the morning before school starts, like running on the school track, taking a shower at the gym, getting dressed at the high school, you know? And on the one hand, you're like, oh, look at him. He's like determined to stay young and healthy. But on the other hand, you're like, he's basically living at the school. He's basically treating the school like his home. This is my house. You know, and I don't like Tracy getting here early when it's my time to be walking the halls all quiet when this is my school. What right does she have to be getting here and like setting up her gum and taping string to her pen and thinking of everything while he's like, you know, throwing out all the trash from the teacher's fridge, but doing it where he's like, I own this place, but making a giant mess, you know, and I, I love that this movie opens up with like holding on that janitor's face after he spills noodles everywhere and that janitor just being like. This guy thinks he's making this place better. This guy is actually making my life harder. I've read a lot of think pieces about election. And it's so funny because the think piece is like, was Tracy Flick actually right? I think of them in many ways as equal villains. And I know there's a, a, a theory or a point of view here as being like, well, he's the adult and he should never have had it out against this kid. But that moment where Tracy Flick connects with Matthew Broderick and says the things that she's been thinking. You can't get your wife pregnant. My mom's a paralegal and your friend fucked up because he was too mushy. Like in that moment, we see a different version of Tracy Flick, like Tracy Flick with claws out. 
because he is questioning her about something she actually did. He caught her, and this is her reaction. This isn't the time or the place to get into it. But there is, for just one example, a certain former colleague of mine who made a very big mistake, a life mistake. Now, I think the lesson here is that old or young, we all make mistakes. And we have to learn that our actions, all of them, can carry serious consequences. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're referring to, but maybe if certain older, wiser people hadn't acted like such little babies and gotten so mushy, then everything would be okay. I agree. And I also think that certain young and naive people need to thank their lucky stars and be very, very grateful that the entire school didn't find out about certain indiscretions that could have ruined their reputations and their chances to win certain elections. And I think certain older people, like you and your colleague, shouldn't be leching after their students, especially when some of them can't even get their own wives pregnant. It's true. She will definitely fight. And what I think is fascinating about the Tracy Flick character is like we are meeting her at a part in her life where she's super delusional, too, about everything that's happening. Delusional doesn't feel like quite the right word, but she's not able to look at herself from the outside. You know, like Mr. McAllister can't look at himself that clearly because I think he's worried that if he did, he would find it more pathetic than his heroic imagination. You know, the life that we see him imagine is him in like an Italian race car driving around the hills. Like that's the person he thinks he wants to be. I mean, it's such a Ferris Bueller shot, by the way. That shot is, and when you see it and it's like, there's so much life in him. And I think he's just looking for something different. I, I think it's incredibly noble to be a teacher, but I also think it can be incredibly frustrating to be a teacher too. And not just a teacher of middle school, like a teacher who feels like, I am shepherding minds. I am doing all this sort of stuff, but yet I'm staying in the same place, right? I, I feel like that that's what this movie talks about on some level too. Like, and I think we all experience that. Should I be doing something bigger? Did I make a mistake with my life? You know, whatever that case may be. But I think it's exceptionally hard to have that feeling and also see people go by you. They're supposed to go by you. It's high school. They're supposed to elevate and get out and you're supposed to lead them to that direction. And it's incredibly noble to do. But it's also, I imagine, a constant picking at a scab. That's why the end of this movie is really interesting because, yes, his job is a docent at a museum, but he's so much happier. That's where he needs to be, right? But he couldn't get there unless he blew up his life. And I think that a lot of people feel handcuffed by, well, if I do that, where would I go? What would I do? How would I actually be able to live? And I don't know, I, I so I do have sympathy for him in a way. I don't think that he's completely right, but I, I, I identify with him as much as I identify with Tracy Flick too. It's like, she's got a path and a trajectory and she's trying to go here and she's the only one who ultimately cares about being the president or she, so she thinks, because I think that that's the other twist of this movie. Like Chris Klein actually does care. Once he gets invested, he cares. It's just This kind of thorny, interesting thing, this movie shows you everyone can have two sides. And as much as she believes he doesn't belong there, she's also wrong, too. Well, I will say that I think that Matthew Broderick's character is happier for now, right? Like, Mm. for now. It's been a couple years that he's been a docent, maybe. He's been in New York for a couple years. He's got a new relationship. But he's not doing anything to fix what's happening in his brain. 
You know, he's not actually like grappling with the truth of what happened to him. You know, the last words that he's saying, he's like looking at Tracy, you know, across the street as she's getting into a limo and he's still lying to himself about how he feels. He's trying to make himself feel pumped up by bringing her down. It all came flooding back. My first impulse was to run over there, pound on her window, and demand that she admit she tore down those posters and lied and cheated her way into winning that election. But instead, I just stood there. And I suddenly realized I wasn't angry at her anymore. I just felt sorry for her. I mean, when I think about my new life and all the exciting things I'm doing, and then I think about what her life must be like, probably still getting up at five in the morning to pursue her pathetic little dreams, it just makes me sad. I mean, where is she really trying to get to anyway? And what is she doing in that limo? Who the fuck does she think she is? And then he, like, throws the soda at her car. You know, so, like, you know, like, he's still angry. He's still angry. And that's what I like about this movie is, like, he's in a different place, but he's still the same person. Well, but you have that, don't you? I mean, I do. It's like there are certain people who can just rile you up immediately. I could live a very happy life, but there are certain people just rub me the wrong way. And you're like, God damn it. And I think it's really... Interesting because he is happy, but when he sees her, he's like, Nurr. like, I don't think that he's spending his life obsessing about her, but like he's in a loveless marriage, right? Like that's what we're led to believe. Like when he's having sex with his wife, you can see it's not, it's not good, right? It's, it's kind of passionless, their relationship. We see it when they're having, you know, breakfast or dinner at the table there. He's watching porn in the living room. Like he's living primarily at the school, but he can't figure out how to be honest. He can't figure out how to be Chris Klein and say to his wife, this is not working for me. I need to get out of here. So what he does is set up a set of circumstances to try to free him. And I think that your point about him being happy for now, that's him getting with his best friend's wife. That would be like the small step. But because his whole life explodes, he actually gets a full do-over. And instead of like looking... (laughs) at Tracy Flick as being like the catalyst for that do-over, he still is like, I didn't win. She actually freed him. She was the reason why he is actually happy now. He should be like, thank God for that moment. Because now I'm happier, but he still looks at her and and doesn't quite put it all together. It's, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm wrestling with it. I mean, like the original ending of this movie was more like the book where they made peace at the end. And they, like he even apologized And when they ran this ending by test audiences, they were like, no, 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 absolutely not. And and I was curious. I managed to like find a copy of the original ending. Like what happened is like they buried it and then it came emerged on like a home cut VHS tape that they had been using to look at cuts. And so it emerged at like a yard sale. And so now you can see the original ending. And as kind of a setup, he's not in uh, New York. He's still in the hometown. He's selling used cars. She shows up to buy a car right before she goes off to college. And then they sit in the car and they have this conversation. Well, Mr. McAllister, now that the school district settled the lawsuit and you and I are allowed to talk again, there's just something I need to know. What if you hadn't gotten caught? I mean, would you have just let Paul Metzler be president all year and just stood by and watched me suffer? Uh. 
You know, I was having some personal problems last year. And I guess I took it out on you. I wish I had the chance to do it all over again. So, can I consider that an apology? Yes. Yes, Tracy, that's an apology. I'm sorry. I really, really am sorry. And then after that, she, like, takes him to her house and she has him sign her yearbook. And you know what? It is so long and slow and mushy and it is just lame. I don't want these characters learning anything about themselves. And she's like, I'm scared of going away to college. And he's like, you're going to be fine. Absolutely not. These characters, they're so deeply embedded in their own worldview. I don't want them fixing it by the time she goes to school. This movie is messy. This movie is angry. This movie is dirty. It doesn't need that kind of lifetime ending. And I and I think that the, the scene that epitomizes that to me is the scene where he washes his dick and balls. Like, I mean, like when he's going to have this affair in that shitty motel, you know, and he gets in that tub and you see that shot of him like washing his ass, you know, uh, before he's going to have sex with this woman again, presumably, or who knows if they had sex that first time when the baby's watching. That to me is this movie. I'm going to get this any which way I can. That moment in the movie really just articulates everything. It's like, we will do whatever. We are disgusting and we're going to fucking get at it. And that, going back to that scene where Tracy kind of confronts him, like she has no business saying that he can't get his wife pregnant. I think that's the moment he's like, I'm going to wreck you. I think he's annoyed by her. I think he's irritated by her. And I think that that's an interesting point of view to be like, here's an adult who there's a kid and this kid drives him nuts. I get that. I've coached soccer. I've had kids like this on my team, <laughs> right? You have to just, you have to walk this line. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he just doesn't like her for any neat and tidy, articulate reason. But it, I don't think it, he would have fucked her over until that moment. I think he might have, but I also think what this movie pretty smartly does is it never, ever, ever uses the word sexist, ever. It's right. like you can kind of infer it because like the when it ends, he still doesn't want to call on another smart girl at another at the museum right. raising her hand. He still has a certain type of person he just doesn't like for any reason. He refuses to articulate out loud to himself and there just happens to be a pattern to it. But even while all these things are happening that you're talking about in these claws, what I love that Alexander Payne does is he takes these scenes like you're talking about, like the motel setup scene where he's washing his balls. And you can also watch it and be like, Oh, that is also pretty real and inhuman. And he's trying. He's like running mm -hmm. to Walgreens for flowers and champagne. And it looks a little tacky, but he's trying. You know, it's Russell Stover chocolate. He's trying. Like the little detailed shots in here, like the one that always gets me is, you know, he's chilling the champagne in the sink bathtub and then pulling the plastic off the plastic cups that motels like that always have I to know. keep them sanitary. That is dead on that is dead on and to me that is where alexander payne really just announces like i'm incredibly influenced by like the great humanist comedians you know by like the coen brothers i mean this movie is so much like a coen brothers film or or going all the way back when we were talking about preston sturgis and sullivan's travels you know like here is what america is like here is the real america and he sets it in this place with these people who take this so seriously and he nails every single detail. Uh, 
doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I think this movie transcends sexism to a certain extent, like I, I know that there's a lot of comparison, like, oh, Tracy Flick is Hillary Clinton, but I think that actually does a disservice to Hillary Clinton and to Tracy Flick. This is a personality that he does not like. He does not like the person, the kiss ass, the person who's going to get ahead. There's something about that type of person that rubs him the wrong way. And maybe it's because of his position. It's more of the point of view of, the way that the election went with um, Al Gore and Bush, right? Uh, Bush too, because it was like, oh, Al Gore's a nerd. He's a nerd. It's like, who the fuck cares if he's a nerd, right? Like, but it was like, I want to have a beer with this person. Yeah, even though he doesn't drink, it, it's partially because he was like arrested for drunk driving. Right, and and then then you look at like <laughs> Obama, and you look at Obama, and Obama kind of transcends both. Obama, super nerd, but also cool. And I think McAllister represents the public. I don't like that person. They're trying too hard, right? That person makes me feel guilty for not trying that hard. And I think that when you make it just about the sex, I think it dilutes it a little bit because I do think that across the board, we are activated by people who make us feel like we're not doing as much that makes us put a mirror on ourselves. And yes, you're right. This movie does hit him and women. Gives you that example. It's not a boy at the end. I think it's more symmetrical to have it as another girl at the end. But I, I don't know. I, I wrestle with it being a movie about like misogyny rather than a movie about feeling this energy whenever we're confronted by someone who is successful. Like, fuck that person. But I don't think we feel this way about nerds like, Bill Gates. Like, I, th I think there is an extra level of sexism okay. to it that almost it's like a yes and because we know he sees her as a woman, you know, like mm -hmm. that's clear when he's like fantasizing, you know, his own nightmare of her face showing up when he's like having sex with his wife. Do it, Jim. Just like that. Do it, Jim. Fill me up. Just like that. Do it, Mr. M. Do it. Fuck me, Mr. M. Fuck me. Fuck me hard, Mr. McAllister. Harder, harder. Fuck me, Mr. McAllister. Fuck me hard, harder. Fuck me, please. So like I was saying, things were going pretty well in my life. Which, by the way, Reese's ability to flare her nostrils. Oh my God, amazing. I mean, her smile, her everything. I don't know how Reese made her face look like this. They costume her to look all square and blocky. They costume her to not look like Reese Witherspoon in so many ways. She actually said that her mouth hurt from smiling too much. When I was smiling so much in the movie, I got like TMJ at the end of the day because I was like, you know, like some sort of bizarre character. And I had such a jaw ache that I thought I'd never recover. 
That happens in talk shows, too. Yeah, I can imagine. Or, I was or, wondering or if I could like, get... Hi there! Yeah. <laughs> 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 we're all so funny. But yeah, that, that woman part, I think, really is a magnifier. You know, that like, there's almost no way for a woman to pull this off because women don't usually have the option of being like, I'm the cool dumb jock. You know, and like, right. in a, I feel like you do see it just happen over and over again to women who look like they're trying to hard. The way the world tried to turn on Anne Hathaway for a little bit. And I was like, leave Anne Hathaway the fuck alone. You know, when you like have her next to James Franco hosting the Oscars and he's being like, he's being Paul Metzler and she's being Tracy Flick was basically the energy of that. And people were so much harder on her, you know, yeah. and you can hear that tightrope. That, that a woman has to walk to be like likable and competent. Part of the Hillary conversations and com comparisons really came out when Hillary was running against Obama because it did feel like Tracy versus Metzler, you know? And when you listen to the voters of that election talk about why they didn't want Hillary, they sound a lot like they're talking about Tracy Flick. I like Hillary. I think she's a strong candidate, but she has that. I don't think you have to have that. that. Yeah, and she has that of that condescending, and I can see that causing mm -hmm. gridlock. Mm -hmm. She does seem like a little, a little condescending. And I don't even yeah. think it's condescending. That's like a strange word for me. I'm thinking it's more like I'm smarter than you. Yeah. Well, or and I'm a woman. I deserve it. Yeah. yeah. If she can so lose that, I'd vote for. It's that's not, I, that's yeah, my biggest problem. I think it's not necessary. I absolutely agree, and I would also say what makes this movie even more interesting is that you have Tammy Metzler. Right. Who is the other person running? And she's also a woman. And she comes into this as the wild card. Right. And by the way, Tammy Metzler, played by Jessica Campbell, who recently uh, passed just yeah, a couple of years really ago. Really early. Um, yeah. She didn't make a ton of movies, actually. This was like one of her first ones. And then she retired it like three years after this, I think, to, to go wow. into like um, alternative health care. The minute she speaks her mind and, and kind of riles up the crowd, the school goes against her, too. So maybe there is an inherent misogyny. We are in it. We breathe it, right? It's it's there. But I don't think that this movie shows us men getting away with anything that women can't get away with because everyone has their comeuppance. They get rid of the teacher in that way. Like they, they protect Tracy Flick. No one knows about that relationship that happened, right? It's not even really spoken about in school. Like that's not part of the narrative. Only Matthew Broderick and the principal, I think, know about this. Yeah, it's like a secret that they share, that they only talk about in code ever, ever right. in that conversation. You know, this is a microcosm of politics. Who do we vote for? Who do we support? Who do we like? And who do we not like? And why do we feel that way? And and is it justified or, or not? And I, and I think that like, yes, Bill Clinton is the good time guy. We like the good time guy. Is he the most qualified? Again, I can't even speak to that. You know, um, I can speak to the fact that I believe that Al Gore was more qualified as someone who could be a president. But again, it's not about qualifications. It's about perception. And this movie is about perception. And this movie is about the what you put out versus how people see you on the other side. I completely agree with you in how this movie deals with sexism, which I think is super, super, super smart. I think not saying it's about sexism is brilliant. And I really yeah. admire that this movie doesn't have Tracy Flick call herself a victim. You know, like mm -hmm. this Tracy Flick would never call herself a victim. She would not want to think that she's a victim. This Tracy Flick, you know, kind of doesn't really start to grapple with what happened to her with the teacher, which I do want to get into in a second, you know, until, you know, Parada writes a sequel to this book called Tracy Flick Can't Win, which came out last year, you know, and that's about her as an adult. It's about like 
it's about her kind of post me too life, like looking back on her relationship with her teacher and being like, oh God, I was I a victim? I hate that word, you know, and still trying to figure out why people don't like her. To me, that's like such a relatable thing because I think when Me Too happened, there were a lot of us who were like, oh my God, was that wrong? You know, we looked at our own past like, oh, what? I didn't know that I could be mad about that. You know, and so the idea of this Tracy Flick refusing. Well, you know, it's like the Monica Lewinsky thing that we've gone back and looked at it and been like, oh yeah, for a long time, society was blaming Monica Lewinsky. And it's the same exact thing that we're talking about here. Perception. We like Bill Clinton or, you know, generally he's not at fault. She must be. She yeah. made the mistake. Right. And it's and, and and we're not looking at it the other way because we like this person. I think that to me is the thing that I find truly fascinating above everything else, because we're not looking at the reality. An adult man took advantage of a young girl. He had power over her. It's like, no, no, no. This young girl is a temptress. Yes. Which I did not get at the time. Like now that I am older and I can look back on that, you know, when you're a kid and Monica Lewinsky happens, you think anybody over 18 is an adult, you know? And I was right. like 22, 23, she is an adult. And she had that hair that made her to me as a kid think she was an adult, you yeah. know, the kind of like big, big, big curls. And I didn't know what an intern was. I thought an intern was just a job. So I didn't, right. I did not understand what was really happening in this story. And then when I got older, I was so mad. I really felt like I had been like lied to by newspapers and by like comedians and by everybody. You know, I saw Monica Lewinsky like a month ago. She did a Q&A here at a screening of Cat Person. Oh, yeah. At, which Fogel. Cat Person, I think the movie is really, 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 really good. The third act is has to figure out how to have a third act on the short, short story that does not have a third act. And it's a little strange. It like blows things up very, very big. But it is like really grappling with like these subterranean things that happen between men and women in a way that's absolutely fascinating. Doesn't let either gender off the hook. And Monica Lewinsky did the Q&A. It was really wonderful to see her. Like, I got too nervous to tell her that I think she's one of the bravest people. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because I, I feel the same way about Christine Blasey Ford, who came out against Brett Kavanaugh. Like, and, and, and the amount of flack that she got. You said this movie predicts the future, and it's about a simple election. But I think what this movie has done has amplified the high schoolification of our society. Who's cool? Who's popular? Whose side am I on? And I like you or I hate you based really on nothing. There's a mob mentality that can form same way that it forms in high school, right? These are situations where we have this person who comes forward to say, when I was a kid, Brett Kavanaugh did X. We're forced to take sides. And it's interesting, like it's hard for people to hold two things to be true. And it's also very easy to make your opinion feel like it's fact. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and that's and hard. That's and that's so yeah. much what this movie is, you know? Yeah. And I think that Alexander Payne doesn't waste a scene. I mean, part of why I do think he is very aware of, like, a level of, like, the sexism in this movie is even just in tiny things where, like, when we go and we meet Paul and Tammy's parents— and you have that scene where, like, her parents are really mad at Tammy for getting kicked out of school. And I just want you to listen to the way her household works with her parents. Your mother's extremely upset. She's at the end of her rope. Your behavior keeps getting crazier and crazier and wilder and wilder. Who knows what the hell else you're doing out there that we don't even know about? 
We just had a long conversation with Walt Hendricks. Just got off the phone with him at his home. You know he doesn't want you back at Carver. He's fed up with you. Fed up. And I don't blame Dick, him. Dick. What? Tammy, your, your father and I have been talking, and we've come to a decision that we... You're going fine. to Immaculate Heart. That's where you belong. Maybe the nuns will be able to straighten you out. I mean, the dad is like, your mom, and then not letting the mom get a word in, you know? And it's those little, little beats where, like, he takes a scene, and he doesn't just be like, here are her parents, and they're rich, and they, they're lockstep caricatures. He figures out ways of, like, building in these little nudges. That's all we really see of their family. And, you know, it can tell you things. We can extrapolate. But what you're saying about this movie and high schoolness and likability, I mean, that's why I think it's so genius to cast Ferris Bueller over Tracy Flick, kind of like Bill Clinton and Monica. We know Ferris Bueller. We know him. We know Matthew Broderick. Reese Witherspoon's still kind of new. You know, she's still coming up. She's been in like weird indie things I'd seen, you know, like Freeway and Fear. So, of course, we're going to believe Ferris Bueller, right? Like, we know Ferris Bueller. Yeah, we but like he's not Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, like, but I... he is. But he is. You know, you put that guy in a school. He's still got the same hair. It's a little gray around the temples. You put uh... Matthew Broderick in a movie in a high school. That's what you're going to think. Like, and you you know that he's a cool guy. And it comes with all these connotations. I don't know. I think that we carry baggage with actors that we like, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, that's just part of, I think, being a big celebrity. But it's not like, oh, cool. Ferris Bueller became a teacher. I, I don't I don't think that you get that. But he is no. Ferris Bueller. So it's like, yeah. What I'm saying is just like what it does we to like us him. in the audience. You know, yes. I'm not saying the movie is like manipulating the Ferrisness of it. I'm just saying this is a movie about how do we feel about those people. And when you cast him, we're going to feel a certain way about him when he shows up. Right? Yeah. We're going to you know, be more inclined to like him because like our introduction to Tracy is her talking about herself in terms of like grandiose destiny. None of this would have happened if Mr. McAllister hadn't meddled the way he did. He should have just accepted things as they are instead of trying to interfere with destiny. You see, you can't interfere with destiny. That's why it's destiny. And if you try to interfere, the same thing's just gonna happen anyway. And you'll just suffer. And so when he comes in, he's like, oh, that girl's a bit much, you know, like the way that he's like, oh, yeah, Linda, things just got awkward at the when I tried to make a joke about how we should go to a motel. I'm going to come home and tell my wife that she's a bit much. Just that coded way of saying, who cares about that woman? I'm not even going to explain really why she's a bit much. She's ambitious, whatever. And so I think it's fascinating that some kind of mental trick happens in your head when you watch this movie where every single time. I'm always surprised to remember that it basically opens with being like, she was sexually assaulted by a teacher. And I always forget about it. And it's and always a yes. shock when it comes out just boom like this. There's one more thing about Tracy I think you should know. Her pussy gets so wet, you can't believe it. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to know that. A few months before the election, she'd gotten herself in a little trouble with my best friend, Dave Novotny. Dave came to Carver the year after I did, and we hit it off right away. Dave was one of those guys who taught because they never wanted to leave high school in the first place. But basically, he was a good guy. This is such a central fact, right? And in a way, it like almost makes this movie 
share a lot of ground with Lolita. You know, these are both movies about adults describing a young girl who has been sexually assaulted and us trusting the narrator's description of her, you know? But here, she also gets to talk. And when she talks, she's talking in a pre mutee time where she's like, no, 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 no. Everything's totally fine. Everything's totally fine. And like when she describes it, she's saying like, I didn't date this teacher, you know, because I have daddy issues. But as she's describing it, you're really listening to what she says. And you're like, oh, you kind of did. Since I grew up without a dad, you might assume psychologically I was looking for a father figure. But that had nothing to do with it at all. It was just that Dave was so strong and he made me feel so safe and protected. It was the first time somebody ever saw the real me. The me that nobody else knows. I want to make sure that I'm being clear too. Like, I do believe that misogyny is just inescapable. I think the way that this movie handles that affair, this is not a movie about her affair with the teacher. It's a undercurrent of something that happened before the film. And we see this perspective. And I think that the movie does a really interesting job of showing you her perspective as not being a victim. And then you adopt that as well, which is not the truth, right? Like she believes that she was in a loving relationship. And as a matter of fact, when she comes at uh, McAllister, she actually is like, he's an asshole. Like he shouldn't have been as mushy. And even the term mushy is kind of wonderful there because she's still a child. And that question of who was right and who was wrong is really never really dealt with because it's like, oh, it's in the past. But it's such a big part of why this happens too. Why everything in this movie happens is because of that. They both know stuff about each other and she's trying to be an adult and he is being a child and and they're fighting over this thing that feels like oh it's it's equal we we see an equal they're you know they're rivals it's a love hate relationship which is i think more to the book's ending but that's not the case he's an adult she's a child it's so fucked up but the movie does a really great job of just being like oh yeah in the society like we're just buying into all this we're not even questioning this and i think that that's sometimes what happens in our world too it's like oh you have to take a step back and i love that the movie doesn't like the movie doesn't make us Take a step back, but after a while, in a conversation like you and I are having, you have to be like, oh yeah, but how does all this affect? It's like, it's all the air that we breathe. It's like, it's polluted by all this information. Yeah, that's such a great way of describing it. Like, as soon as this movie starts, we are just breathing in the poison that both of them are telling us about how this happened, right? Yeah. And like, what it meant. And Alexander Payne is not going to say, hey, they're both wrong, but he's going to kind of tell you a little bit through his images is like really all he can do. You know, that little image of like looking down, like the the day that she's about to have sex with her teacher for the first time in the flashback. And you're just looking down on her on a sofa and she's holding a tiny can of diet mug. And it is like, she looks so small and young and like pathetic. And then she's like saying what she really misses about their relationship is their conversations. And as she's saying that, Alexander Payne is just showing you like her alone in a hallway and then his hand coming out and kind of pulling her in by the neck. And you're like, oh, like it just makes your stomach drop. But then the movie's like, we're going on. We're going on. You can absorb this or not. Like you can absorb how the world works or you can believe what these people are telling you. Well, let me throw this at you. And I, I don't know if I have the full point of view on this yet, but I'll see what you think. What this movie does so well is what American Beauty does so poorly. I don't think American Beauty holds up anymore. I'm you know, really curious uh, to rewatch it. 
It's a little too black and white. And this movie is a lot more gray. This is the way we are. This is the reason why things are complicated in our world, right? This is like, yes, there are right and wrong things. Absolutely. But we aren't Chris Klein. No one's looking at it in this black and white way. Chris Klein looks at it and like, I'm upset. I'm going to say it, right? Everything that we do is is kind of layered in this stuff. And I think that this movie kind of puts a few ethical issues in this stew of what the real world is, why we can get confused. It's why, you know, when you hear stories, of, whether it's Me Too stories or you hear stories about uh, people behaving badly, it can get very mushy. We make our own narratives into things. And yes, we can. 20 years later, we can look back and go, oh, the media got it wrong here about Bill Clinton. But in the moment, I think it's very hard to do. I think it's yeah. incredibly hard to do. I think it's like, because there's so many things at play. I don't think it, and, it, and I'm not saying it's like, well, we have to be better as society. I just think it's a, it, it's, life is complicated. And yes, there are black and white right and wrongs, but very rarely do we look at anything in a black and white way. Everything is just this gray area. Yeah, this movie is all gray. We have Tracy Flick on the list of greatest villains, but nobody ever puts Mr. McAllister on the list of greatest villains. Yeah. You know? It really kind of comes down to her. I mean, in a way, this film is just, it's experimenting in propaganda. You know, early on when we're even getting introduced to Tracy Flick, Alexander Payne keeps freeze-framing her in these, like, awkward positions, you know, with her mouth kind of open or snarling, you know, making her look like a goofy caricature, like a kind of creepy monster kid. Doing that to kind of play with us. It is so much about, like, how a story gets told to you by the people telling the story, you know, and who can you trust? And in this movie, I feel like you can kind of trust nothing and everything all at once. You have to like hold it all in. I mean, I guess it's basically the conversation he's having at the beginning. Like it is this movie about the difference between like ethics and morals, you know, like ethics are kind of external rules. You know, what does your culture tell you is okay? You know, what is allowable in this culture and morals are I guess more like what you decide. They're sort of like your inner subjective principles. I forgot all about that. That really is the thesis of the movie. Right it really there. is. Yeah, like you you are allowed to do this when you're running for a campaign. Do you want to do this when you're running for a campaign? And I think this comes up a lot. Like this idea, like there's a there period of time, and I don't feel like it's much in discourse now, but like candidates would agree to not... Uh, muckrake each other like they would they would ha run a fair campaign but is there such a thing as a fair campaign you hear that they're going to do something like you have to score points it even happens in the academy awards like you know you've heard these stories of publicists releasing stories about people or movies to give it some bad press to give a spin you know to elevate yours above somebody else's and there was an energy like we won't run negative campaign ads and people want to seem like, oh, yeah, we won't do it. But there is this idea. We're going to win this way. We're going to play this this way. And you see it in debates. The points that are scored in debates are not like, oh, that was a smart answer. It's the parries and the jabs that we look at. You were able to flip it on them and make them look stupid. Well, yeah. And yet what's still so weird about this movie is like all the way up to the end, Matthew Broderick keeps making these like assertions about how bad Tracy Flick is as a candidate. You know, he keeps saying like, she'll stomp on anybody. She's going to lie. And she cheated the election. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, you know, okay, she lied about the banners. 
but she didn't cheat. She didn't cheat. He cheated. She didn't cheat. She does everything really by the book. Her candidacy, getting the signatures, saying, don't you need to keep these signatures? She is the one who actually doesn't cheat. But that's what you're talking. This is what we're talking about, though. It's like, that is your opinion or your own morality. You're like, oh, she didn't cheat. But she ripped down. She defaced the advertising that someone's doing. She threw a curveball at a campaign. Now, it's signs on a wall. Is it really that big of a deal? Well, that's our perspective. Like, obviously, Lisa's like, we can't have an election. It's not fair. You know, and it's like, yes, there's different opinions. Is that cheating? I think if you go by the letter of the law, it is. But is it as bad as what Matthew Broderick did? No. Literally throwing away votes? A vote. But... Two votes. But again, but then you're elevating. Well, throwing away a vote is is more than ripping down the signs. But if those signs being ripped down affected the vote, then isn't that, you know, it's like, it, it's hard, okay, but we but look at it. Okay, but do you know who's it. overall cheating? Like the overall grandmaster mega cheater? Who? I mean, you, you can hear it here when like the principal and, and Mr. McAllister are like talking to the actual kids who are trying to count the votes and overruling them. Looks like Paul's our next president. No way. It, it doesn't make sense. Well, sorry, Larry, but... My figures work out exactly the same as Mr. McAllister's. I get uh, 256 for Paul, 255 for Tracy. And 290 disregards, right? Well, if you say so. It's mostly Tammy fans, if you can believe it. <laughs> well, see, it doesn't add up. There were 801 ballots, but 803 people voted. Well, there must be two votes missing. Check the register. He's right. Two people must have pocketed their ballots. Usually there's more. Uh, but they were there. I, I counted 803 votes. It happens, Larry. People make mistakes. I didn't make a mistake. Every vote was there when you sat down. Easy, Fouch. I don't like where you're going. I'm sorry, Dr. Hendricks, but every vote was accounted for. Fouch, that's enough. End of story. I mean, that is so terrifying. In a time where we've been talking about, like, elections and counts and cheating and everything just being thrown around and, like, who's in charge of running each election in a state-by-state race and, oh, my God, I'm too much. My brain's going to fritz. But that's an example of how these kind of things work. And what you hear in that is not only, like, the people counting the votes getting, like, overruled by their bosses, but you also hear in there that neither Tracy or Paul won the election, that the person who won the election, the person who got 290 votes, is Tammy who the bosses disqualified. Right. Tammy, who gave the whole speech about burn down the system, that's the person who actually won the election and nobody's going to let her win. And they'd figure out how to disqualify her because she actually scares the establishment. I mean, can we just listen to her speech? We have to listen to her speech. Who cares about this stupid election? We all know it doesn't matter who gets elected president of Carver. Do you really think it's going to change anything around here? Make one single person smarter, or happier, or nicer? The only person it does matter to is the one who gets elected. The same pathetic charade happens every year, and everyone makes the same pathetic promises just so they can put it on their transcripts to get into college. So vote for me, because I don't even want to go to college. And I don't care. And as president, I won't do anything. The only promise I will make is that, if elected, 
I will immediately dismantle the student government so that none of us will ever have to sit through one of these stupid assemblies again. I mean, that speech is rousing and terrifying because I think in like the, what, 24 years since this movie came out, we have even more politicians in office who do just want to be Tammies. They just want to destroy the whole thing. Like, politics is dumb. I have joined politics in order to destroy it. I'll right. take politics' salary and health benefits while destroying it. But then even beyond that, I mean, yes, this was inspired by like Bush, Perot, and Clinton. But it was also inspired by a case where this did happen at a real school in Minneapolis in 1992 for like a homecoming race. What happened was that this 17-year-old girl at a high school, she was a senior and she was pregnant. She was like four or five months pregnant. She ran for homecoming queen. And she ran because she was like, I know I'm not a homecoming queen type. You know, she's like this kind of gothy girl. She had like, you know, this is the, 92. She's got like maroon hair and black fingernails. And she won. She like beat the runner up by a lot, by like 30% of the vote. She like really, really crushed it. And so the principal and the three assistant principals took the ballots and they burned them. And then they announced that the winner was the runner up. And this only came to play because like one of the students found out about this and like whispered to the pregnancy and you're like, hey, did you know you actually won homecoming queen? And then everybody got involved. And then like the story wound up going like super, super viral, you know, kind of in the way that like Matthew Mc- describes here. Suddenly everyone knew who I was, that corrupt teacher who had tried to crush the dreams of an innocent girl. Overnight, all the good things I'd ever done in my life evaporated. Soon the wire services picked up on the story. It was the kind of absurd little news item people email each other or post on the bulletin board at work. To top it all off, Diane had started divorce proceedings. She was completely unforgiving about the thing with Linda. In the end, she took almost everything, including the house. But back to this, like, homecoming girl. I don't want to sound like a creep, but I looked her up. Her name is April. And today... She still rocks purple hair. And I'm very proud of April that she was not set back by this, like, destroyed election. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I am glad to hear that. And I think that this maybe is why I love this movie so much. You can find different people to root for. I think you can find different parts of the story to really examine. But the truth of it is everything that we do that involves competition is through a perspective, why you feel a certain way versus something else. Like I read uh, a story the other night, you know, the Lakers' second game against the Suns. They're like, well, did the Lakers really win? I mean, they just got sent to the foul line a ridiculous amount of times. And that's always the narrative for the Lakers. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) We won fair and square. AD sunk all those free throws. And you went to the foul line 12 times in the fourth quarter. Now, I will say that, <laughs> is that odd? Maybe. But you know what I'm saying? But like rivalries and and this is what we wrestle with every single day. You know, I could have an issue with somebody, but I also could really respect them and want to work with them. I can have a relationship where to you, I say something to somebody. And then I also have a relationship where I can never express that to the person I'm with. And And that doesn't mean that I'm having fake relationships. It just means that I'm like, a lot of the times as a bystander, we expect very clean answers. We expect perfection. Right. Oh, I don't like this one thing among your hundred things. Therefore, you right. will not do. I think, you know, why we are obsessed with, 
you know, murder culture and, and listening to all these Dateline episodes and these stories and, you know, and it, it leaves us kind of constantly putting ourselves in the shoes of somebody else and, and going, what would I have done? How could I have done that? But we also like judgment. So we're also like, I would have done it differently. But would you have in the moment? I don't know. I mean, judgment, right? Like that just feels like the key word here. Yeah. Judgment. Like, who are we judging in this film? And then realizing that we judge and when we judge, we judge wrong. You know, that culture, I feel like, judged Tracy Flick wrong for a long time. I mean, to call her baby Hitler in reviews when this movie comes out? Like, what? This movie feels like a very strong contender for outer space. Because I think it kind of reflects so much on just us as society, us as people, you know, beyond America. Like, it kind of just feels like this is a movie that's talking about human behavior going all the way back. I mean, even the music is, like, drawing its cues from kind yeah. of, like, primal ancient stuff, whether it's, like gladiator music or like music that sounds almost like ancient warfare and then turns into like spaghetti western and yomori cone kind of warfare sounds What this movie is telling you like on screen and in the music and in what you're looking at is that we are going to have to spend our entire lives wrestling with our base human impulses. Well, but can I also say that 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 moment where you see him in the museum, what do we open up on? His hairy ass Neanderthal Yeah, right. We are evolved, but are we? Because these people are in a fight for survival on some level. You know, Tracy Fleck needs to get ahead and get out. You know, she knows she has a hard road ahead. So she is doing everything she can to get ahead. That's not wrong. And I think the same thing with Matthew Broderick's character is we're coming from a place of this man is being judged, is not being a provider, masculine man. He can't get his wife pregnant. He has a loveless marriage. And when she calls him out on it, he's like, ah, I'm going to come after you. Like, it's like anyone who questions anyone else's uh, reason for being is really under attack. And I think that that's like such an animalistic urge. It's such a base instinct. And yes, you could go back to food, you could go back to shelter, whatever it is. But it's like, you know, we live in this world where it's like, if you take a core part of me and you question it, I'm coming after you where you can't lose that part of yourselves. Don't take food out of my mouth. You know, I, I will, I will fight for it. And it, food is whatever food is to you. And that's the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because he's not saying, what happens to me when I lose my job? He's saying, what happens to a man? What happens to a man when he loses everything? Everything he's worked for. Everything he believes in. Driven from his home. Cast out of society. How can he survive? Where can he go? Right this way. New York City. He's basically saying, I am mankind. This is like our primal struggle. You know, he's making it bigger than himself. And this is why I think this movie was received differently in the space of 20 years. This is a teen movie that's really an adult movie, right? And so all these teen stars in it, but you put Matthew Broderick in the center 
And as an adult, you see this movie and you go, that's my guy. He's Ferris Bueller. She's annoying. And I'm on his side. And I think now some of those people have grown up and fought against these people who just have it out for them because they're ambitious. They want to do something. They're moving ahead. They are making them feel their own mortality, making them feel bad about their life choices, even though they're not directly doing it. It's just challenging their worldview. And they're like, no, fuck that. Like, I should be able to do whatever I want. It's their fault that they're not doing it. Matthew Broderick should divorce his wife and get out of teaching because truthfully, he's not happy. Like, it has nothing to do with me. Like, I I think that that re-examination of this movie isn't because like cultures change. I think it's also because people who saw this movie originally are like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I see it differently too. I, you know, I, I think it's like, it's more nuanced than that. I, I don't know. And that's beautiful. I feel like as I've grown up, this movie has grown up. You know, we're sitting here, we're appreciating this movie. And I think it's a tough movie to feel like there's a perfect answer for, right? There, there's, there are these things that, that make it a little thorny. And I just re-fell in love with Reese Witherspoon when we did our Legally Blonde episode a few weeks ago. But watching this movie, I couldn't help but think of a movie we did a little while before that, which was Mean Girls. And this idea of the primal nature of teens and in society. Like, they have that amazing section where they talk about the people in the mall, like they're actual animals. And I feel like this movie and that movie kind of share this idea of, like, primal nature in high school. Basically, in this movie, information is currency. You know, it mm-hmm. always comes back to who knows what about who and what can you do with that? What can you buy socially with the knowledge you have on other people? And it almost is an economy of gossip. Well, but it's also about getting a friend, right? Because a lot of the uh, backstabbing goes on while one friend is secretly on the phone and the other friend doesn't know it, right? It's like this kind of sabotage. You you catch them in a lie, you say something, and in that moment, the friend that's setting up the other friend is your ally. And if you if you perform the right way, then you'll gain them as an it's like who's on my team? Like what friend do I have? And yes, it's power, but it really is the want for community. And it's getting community through this kind of devious way, instead of just community through like real connection and, and real feelings. And I think what the movie does, which I love, is it juxtaposes high school with animals, right? Like uh, Katie looks at this and sees animal nature here. And I think there's one moment where, you know, in the film, she wants to literally, you know, fight Regina George, you know, because Regina George sabotaged her chance with this guy. And, you know, in the in the animal king, she would just jump on him or her and just beat the shit out of her. But in the world that we live in, the civilized world, you have to pretend like, oh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, you know, everyone puts on a fake face. We are animals that are constantly trying to hide that we are animals. And because of that, everyone tries to hide how they're actually feeling. I love that. That was such a fun episode. That was like one of our first movies we ever did when we broke away from the original AFI 100 list. When we yes, finished we did. that and we we're like, and now we go into our own beyond. We get to do Mean Girls, <laughs> a back to school special. I recorded that in a closet during COVID in Ojai. Um, oh, memories, Paul. <laughs> memories. Oh, come so far. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about the future because you know what yes. this movie makes me really want to do? This movie makes me want to do another film about protagonists who are just 
dubious. Can we trust what they're saying? Can we trust narration? What is happening? I feel like there's a movie that we really have been itching to do. And it is David Fincher's Fight Club. What do you think? Oh, yes. I'm very excited. I know we've talked about this for a while. And I like this idea, too. Society, how we view society, how we are viewed in society. Great. All right. So Fincher's Fight Club, available wherever you get your streaming films. You can also check out your local public library because you can get all these things for free right there. And Amy, we did it. We done did it. (laughs) But you know what? If it came down to a vote between you and I, I would vote for you. And you know what? I'd vote for our amazing production team because every week they keep this show running on track. Let's give it up for them. A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, and our executive producers, Cody Fisher and Amelia Chapelo, and our MVP, Molly Reynolds. Our theme song is by Michael Cassidy, and our fan art is by Kim Troxell. Follow Unspooled on Twitter and Instagram and join in the conversation about all things Unspooled on the Paul Shear Discord at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, and you can get a deck of Unspooled playing cards and more merch at podswag.com. Finally, See the official API list of Unspooled Films and more about the show at unspooledpod.com. love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.